This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcbalone.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So I kind of feel a little bit like uh, the dog chasing the car. You've been riding down the road, right? And the dog, woof, woof, and, you know, kind of going after you. Have you ever thought, like, the, I don't know if the dog's ever thinking about this, but what if he catches the car? What's he going to do with it, right? I kind of felt that way this week. I have caught a passage of a text of Scripture, and I'm like, I, I'm kind of exploding with it, just in its study and um, the, the amount of just truth. I mean, this thing could preach for a good long while, but I'm not going to do it this morning. Uh, I've only got a limited amount of time with you, but I'm going to just give you all that I've got. I'm just going to give you an overflow. I really am. Um, and, and so just bear with me because what I have found as I've been surveying this tremendous book, I, I wanted to take you on a journey of, about a, a, a journey that kind of surveys how we live our lives in respect with other people. Um, I think we all know how our relationship ought to be with the Lord, okay? We, we know that. We, we know that, that, that God created us. He loved us. We know that we are sinners, but Christ died for us so that we could have eternal life and forgiveness of sins if we repent and, and ask the Lord to come in and to save us and to be our Lord and Savior. We know that we are to live daily for Him and in obedience and honor of His commands. We know all that. But I don't think we have spent a lot of time, and I don't think as you have been in church, we've ever kind of sat down and for an extended period of time, we've talked about how that relationship impacts my relationship with you and your relationship with me in church, at work, at school, in the grocery store, at the hairdressers, at the bank, everywhere we go, at Walmart, at Target, in the Avenues Mall, it doesn't matter where we go. If we have a relationship vertical with God, it has to be expressed horizontally some way. And this is going to be a journey that we're going to, I hope, we're going to get it right. Because I don't think we have it all right. We're not good sometimes with our horizontal relationships. We've got issues. I, I've got a, a big issue. I, um, public stuff gives me tremendous anxiety. Uh, I did a test, uh, uh, um, those personality tests that you can do. You know what I found out about myself? I, didn't know, I did not know that I was introverted. And no, but, but after looking at, like, the things that I do and kind of carry myself, I, I get it. I, I, yeah, I see some things now. And, and, and so because I'm kind of introverted, and I know you don't believe me, but it's true. It, it means sometimes that my conversations aren't what I want them to be. Sometimes you have anxieties. Sometimes you have issues, and, 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 and it leads us to treat people the wrong way sometimes. It, it leads us to think bad thoughts about people sometimes. It, it leads us to a whole lot of things that we don't get right. And then when you mix it all up in church, kind of like a blender, and you just stir us all up together, that's a recipe, or it can be a recipe for disaster. That's the reason why churches split. That's the reason why... There are people that can gather in a worship service, sit on opposite sides of the worship center because they hate one another. But yet they claim they love Jesus. It's why you have people that only come when they want to because they just feel like, you know, we're kind of an add-on. 
Let me kind of say something to you, and this is like not part of my message, but just something extra I, I want to give you. I want you to imagine your life is like a piece of paper, right? And you got something written on it. How wide are your margins this morning? How wide are the margins? The margins are those areas that you have move, room to move a little bit. Sometimes I fear that in our, our, we are in a pace of life that is breakneck speed. Listen, did you know, I, I, listen, our pace of life is literally the speed of light. Because everything is communication, fiber optic driven. We are in a world of instantaneous information. I've read statistics that students, children, in, in, in five years or three years' time, learn more than, than adolescents and adults before them did in decades. That's how much information is being thrown out there. And we're living at such a breakneck speed, we don't have time for one another, much less God. In the margins, we are at the edges of our paper. And it's no wonder that we're not getting the relationships right. We're in a world of social media, yet we don't know how to have a one-on-one conversation. But we don't mind putting stuff on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And none of those are immoral. I have Instagram. I have Twitter. I love it. I love Periscope. Anybody doing Periscope? Anybody doing Periscope in here? Anybody other than me? One, thank you, my Periscope sister. What, who, who? Wyatt, my Periscope brother. There's another Periscope brother. I love Periscope. There's another Periscope. I love it. I don't mind social media. But what do we do when we sit down? And you're seated next to people right now. You're sitting down next to someone. Some of you are related. Some of you are not. When the gospel comes in to a group of people, it will radically change their life. And not only will it radically change their life, but sometimes it takes a while for for this stuff to get digested. Because Jesus, he literally comes in to make sense out of our life. He comes in to our life and gives it balance. Have you ever been riding down the road on an unbalanced tire? Have you ever seen a car going down the road and, it's, and, a, and a tire is just kind of boo 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 and it looks dumb, right? I had a cousin who owned a tire shop and there was a sign, he pasted it up on his wall, big letters, tires and wheels are not round. Did you know that that's the truth? He had a machine. It was called a truer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They don't use these nowadays. But he still uses one. It's called a truer. It's a machine that he'll put on the tire, and it'll turn that tire kind of slowly. And here comes this sharp blade. I mean razor sharp blade, and it goes in and comes across that tire at a certain measurement, and it's going to go all the way across, and here's what it's going to do. It's going to, it's going to whack off all those little extra little bumps and those little areas that, that, that was on the tire from the factory, okay? And by the time that truer gets done, you've got a pile of rubber laying on the ground next to the tire, but that tire then is perfectly symmetrically round, and it will ride so much better. Then he'll put it on that machine and give it a spin because it then has to be balanced. And he puts those weights on there and, and those you know, little places. You know how it's done. You've seen them do it. Listen, when Jesus comes into our life, he's doing all of that. We, we now know the truth. There's a truer to, to, to the experience with Jesus. And then there's a balance to, to our relationship with Jesus. And, it, and, and 
when we've got him and we start understanding that he has come to give us life and life abundantly, yeah, that, but you know, for some, it just takes a while to figure out. For the Corinthians, that what was, that's what was going on here. Paul wrote to this church more than any other church that we know of in the New Testament. He loved them, but he also knew that they had some big issues in life. He knew that they had some stuff that they had to work through. He wrote to them a letter. We don't have it. It's not in your Bibles. It was the very first letter he ever wrote to them. As a matter of fact, he mentions this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He talks about a letter that he wrote to them, but by the Holy Spirit's protection, uh, that letter was not saved and it was not included as a part of our canon of Scripture. And then there was, there was a, a follow-up letter a follow-up letter written after the first letter. So it's letter number two. But letter number two is 1 Corinthians. That's the first letter that we know of or that we have in our Bibles. Well, he wrote that letter, the one that we're studying. We're going to journey through. Then he wrote another letter after that. He called that letter the severe letter. Why? Because he, he just kind of, you know, took them out to the woodshed, so to speak. I mean, they, they were trying, maybe, but they were, getting, they were getting some things wrong and completely messed up. And so he just, he called them out on a carpet. He threw down the gauntlet. He just let them know how he felt about some stuff and how they were doing some things wrong. And it was called the severe letter. We don't have that letter either. But we know that that letter existed because it was referred to in 2 Corinthians uh, 13 and in 2 Corinthians 2. Which means that 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter and the final letter that Paul wrote. And that was an interesting letter. We're not going to cover it in our journey here, but this, the book of 2 Corinthians is really nothing but a defense of his apostleship. In other words, he had, he had poured his life into these new believers. He had poured his life into this church. And now they started to turn on him. And he said, guys, I'm just telling you. This is kind of like the summary of, of, of 2 Corinthians. Guys, I'm telling you, I've experienced Jesus in a way that you haven't. He has set me apart for gospel ministry, gospel work. He has, he has set me here on this earth to give you and to teach you and to, and to instruct you some things. The first Corinthians is this letter where they start figuring the things out about daily life and about life with you and me and life together, all that stuff. And this section we're going to look at here for just a couple of minutes. He says some things to this group of people and subsequently to us that I just find remarkable. That I am surprised he would write about a group like that. You, you, you remember the, the city of Corinth and the type of people that they were when, when I did an introduction sermon a couple weeks ago? I mean, these were, these were converted sailors and converted prostitutes for the most part. I mean, this was a culture and a city that they were known for their debauchery. 
But I want you to follow along with me. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's stand together. I want to honor the reading of God's Word. And I want you to follow along with me, and I want you to listen to what Paul said about them, some of the first words mentioned in this letter, beginning in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him. Remember that word, enriched in him. In all speech and all knowledge. Verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. As you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, in verse 8, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, this text, as it has been read, God, just in its reading alone and the hearing to our ears, it will do more and have a greater impact than any words I could ever say. I'm only going to be a little bit of commentary. So, Father, I pray that your word would do a great and mighty work in the hearts and minds and the lives of everyone here this morning. Father, I pray that I can just say something that people would find as an encouragement, as a challenge to their lives that will all draw us all closer to you. In Jesus Christ's name that we pray, amen. You can be seated. So there, the, the title of the sermon is Foundation or The Foundation of a Gospel-Centered Relationship. I want you to think about all of your relationships. You might want to jot this down. All of your earthly relationships must be gospel-centered. What did I say about that tire, using that tire illustration? If Jesus and the gospel is not at the center, your life will be out of balance. When you ride down the road on four unbalanced tires, you're going to be like that old jalopy, and your car's going to literally shake apart. I mean, it, you're just going to be riding down, and, and it's going to be shake, rattle, and roll. Okay? But if I want healthy friendships, if I want healthy relationships with my spouse, with my children, with my parents, my grandchildren, my neighbor, my coworker, Jesus has to be at the center of it. The question is, how do we know that Jesus can even be the center of it? If you've got a church full of, 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 of redeemed prostitutes and sailors and businessmen and everybody else that you could think of, I mean, you've got a diverse congregation, how can they know that Jesus really is the center of their lives? What evidence is there? Paul gives us the evidence here, and in this evidence I find three different ways or three different things, reminders here that helps us understand how the gospel can be at the center of, my rela- of all of my relationships. Here it is. Number one, a gospel-centered relationship is evidence of Christ in me. So you need to understand, first of all, that all of my earthly relationships, if I want the gospel, listen, it, it, it actually proves that Jesus is in my life. Look here at verse 4. He says, I do give thanks to you, Right, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. But here's the kicker in verse 5, that in every way you were enriched. Now, you may have a different word there, but it all amounts to, it, it all means something about wealth. There's some wealth that has been given, and it was given to you. Now, the Corinthians, they would have listened really closely to this because they were economically, they were extremely diverse. Okay? 
uh, you, you had millionaires or, or whatever like them, you know, in one seat, and then, you know, just a couple of seats down, you've got the destitute. You had, and you had everybody in between. But here's why that word is important. It's a verb. And in the Greek language, you have active verbs and passive verbs, just like you do in English. In a passive verb, the, the, the action is being done to you, you're not doing it. In other words, you're not being responsible for it. He says that in every way you were enriched, it means that someone else was doing it, not you. Well, who's doing it? Paul is talking about what Jesus has done for you on the cross. By him dying on the cross for your sins, you were now able to partake in his righteousness. You have been made rich. You have a wealth of righteousness, but you didn't die on the cross. You were not the one who hung on Calvary's tree. It was Christ. And so Paul says, listen, the reason why you are spiritually wealthy is because God gave it to you. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't go out and be good enough to be what Jesus can afford to you on the cross. And so the first thing I need to remember is that, wait a minute. I don't have the ability in me to be anything. The only thing I'm good at is being bad. The only thing I'm good at is sinning. The only thing that I can really do good on my own is be a naughty person. And the same is true for you. That's the only thing we can really be good at on our own and in our own strength. But Paul says, wait a minute, Jacko. It is because Jesus died on the cross because you have trusted in him, because you have, you have accepted the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he has now equipped you. You don't believe me? You go read Ephesians 1. And you'll see what Jesus did for you. It's why Paul said in the book of Philippians, I can do some things. No, I can do all things through my own, no, through Christ who is my strength. That's what it's all about, guys. I've got to remember that when I, every conversation that I have, every moment that I can, I'm walking down the grocery store. This past week I did, I had three gospel opportunities and three witnessing. Listen, in one aisle, I was like, boom, boom, boom. There's three different families. I was like, talking to Jesus one. Remember, I know, I, I struggle with anxiety in, in, in having these conversations sometimes. I don't know if you're like me, but I will call someone on the phone, and I need to share something with them, or I've got to have a conversation. I am praying that the answer machine will pick up. I would just as soon talk to the answer machine, and I'm done with it. And I'm like, oh, man, they answered the phone. Okay, uh, rethink here. Recalculating, you know. Okay, all right, here's what I was going to say. I mean, it's like big deal. But I'm there where all the shredded cheese is and Winn-Dixie. And I'm thinking to myself, there's something else in me. There's something in, in me that wants to say something to these people. And it's not, it's, it's not Chris Woodard. 
I can do all things through Christ because he just gave me the strength. He just gave me the words to say. You think just, well, preacher, you're supposed to share the gospel real well. You're supposed to go visit and you're supposed to go. I freak out at that stuff just like you do. Someone asked me one time, Pastor, do you like to go to the hospitals and visit? No. Do you like to be in the hospital sick? No. I don't want to see you there. One, one, listen, there's a pastor that I know that uh, this, this lady, she, you know, she's kind of a special lady in the congregation, and she expected a preacher to be there almost every single day if ever she was in the hospital. And she asked the pastor one day, Pastor, what have I got to do? How sick have I got to be for you to come see me? He says, Lady, you don't want to be that sick. Okay, listen, I don't, I don't want you to be in the hospital. I don't want you to be in the rehab center. I don't want you in those places, you know, no more than, than I like being in there. And, and, but I got to remember that there's a place where all of my wants and stuff kind of play second fiddle to the strength that Christ will give to you and to me. And here's what happens. I walk away from, from those encounters, and I'm like, dude, that was cool. I've actually preached that Jesus is alive inside of me. And guess what? He just lived through me. And that was totally awesome. The Corinthians, they didn't think they had it inside of them. And the truth be told, they didn't. The only thing that they had was Christ. And Paul was trying to convince them, you are made rich. You are wealthy because of what Jesus is and because he is in your life. Therefore, all of your horizontal, your earthly relationships can be super cool if you would trust in him. Number two, not only, not only is there a gospel-centered relationship as evidence, but a gospel-centered relationship is all about the end. Look at what he said here. Uh, he says uh, in verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Listen, he even backed it up. He said, guys, people do see Jesus in you. There is an evidence that you're living like Jesus because, because of how you're living your day-to-day life. People notice this. But look at this. Verse 7 says that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. I mean, he's just like laying it on thick, right? He's making them feel good. But watch this phrase here. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, guys, I know what it's all about, and so do you. It's all about the end. I know John 10, 10 is great. I know that Jesus came so that we could have life and have life abundantly. Yes, I know that we can have an awesome day, but I also know that we don't have days that are awesome. All of our days are not always good days. Sometimes we do have that phone call from the doctor. Sometimes we do get those tests back from, from, from our physician. Sometimes we do get that pink slip from our, 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 our boss. Sometimes we do have a fight with our spouse. Sometimes we do have a falling out with our children. Sometimes we do have all of those things. But you have to remember that one day, we don't have to worry about pink slips. We don't have to worry about broken relationships. We don't have to worry about divorce. We don't have to worry about children that have, that have run away from home. We don't have to worry about abortion anymore. We don't have to worry about all of these things that cause us so much grief. Because one day in Christ, if you are in Christ, you'll be with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. And he's telling the Corinthians, listen, guys, as you live, you see how many people you can take to heaven with you before you die. It is all about the end. Amen, lights. I wonder if sometimes preachers wish they had the receipt for the congregation. I like to exchange this one for the amening congregation. 
Listen, if you need to bring coffee here in here with you, you by all means, I don't care. Just whatever, if, just make sure you're awake, whatever. I don't care. A gospel-centered relationship is all about the end. That means that as you're having, and it doesn't mean that you're preaching the sermon. It doesn't mean you're ending all of your conversations with amen. It doesn't mean that. It means, though, that you have a conscious understanding that this person is either lost or found. They're either saved or unsaved. And guys, listen, at the end of the day, those are the only two categories of people that there are. You're either lost or found. You're saved or unsaved. You're heaven-bound or hell-bound. People say, Pastor, you trying to tell me I'm going to hell? No, I didn't say a word about that. I just know what the Bible says, that we are born in sin, and there is naturally a place where sinners go. But God is able, listen, he did something to change all that if you would trust him. I'll have conversations about the weather and sports and football and NASCAR racing and music and, and all of those things. And that's okay. But I also knew this, that as I build those relationships, as I continue to have those conversations, eventually, I, I, and, 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 the Lord will, and the Lord will help you to know when to change the topic. I'm working with a young man right now. I'm not going to call his name. Some of you know him. Working with a young man right now. He's at the high school. He's a high schooler. He doesn't know Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's got a worldview that's kind of out there. And I've known him for about three or four months. Two weeks ago, I had my first gospel conversation with him. I, I didn't ask him to get saved. I didn't share the Romans road. I didn't do anything like that. I just kind of just gently just threw some phrases out there, just things for him to consider. And then here, this is what he said, well, well you know, I, hey, maybe I ought to just come and, and hear you preach, and I, maybe I ought to just come to your church. I said, yeah, that would be a great idea. I hadn't seen him yet. One day I will. I pray one day I will. I pray for more gospel conversations. That's the reason why we're doing each one reach one the way that we're doing it this year. Some of you are going to gripe and complain, well, we ain't having church on Sunday night. Listen, I would rather you be out soul winning and leading someone to Jesus and being an evangelist to someone in this world who needs it than to be in here on a Sunday night if it will make a difference in eternity in that family's life. It's all about the end. It was all about the end for John the Apostle. Remember the end of the book of Revelation? Jesus says to him in that revelation, Behold, I am coming soon. John replied back, even so, come Lord Jesus, right now. Number three, a gospel-centered relationship is empowered by Christ. It is empowered by Christ. Listen to this, verse eight, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's why he also said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. You take 
my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is, right? Some of you, if you're not farmed in, in old-timey days, that was the hitching system that you put on some oxen, right? It was that wood beam, and it had the wood loop right here. That was it. Take my yoke upon me. Because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I'm going to be with you. Can you imagine that redeemed prostitute? All her life, all, all she'd been looking for was love. She didn't, she didn't know how to have a healthy relationship, especially not with a man. They only saw her as an object. Think about that sailor, months at sea, coming home and They've only got a few months to go have fun, spend their pay, and get drunk, do all the stuff that sailors do. They're, they're the last ones that they would have thought they could even make a difference in this world with the gospel. What about you? What are the hindrances in your life? What are the things in your past that you feel like we're holding you back and have been holding you back. Can I, can I just tell you, this old, old hymn that we sing, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. There's nothing in your past that will hold you back. Songwriter said, and greatest hymn, my favorite hymn of all time is the hymn, And Can It Be? The third verse of that great hymn, I think, is the greatest theology ever penned in, in, in hymnology. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke and the dungeon flamed with light. I rose, my chains fell off, my heart was free, and I rose and I went forth and I followed thee. There's nothing that you have ever done. There are no chains of sin that could ever shackle you that the gospel of Jesus cannot break and sever permanently. And I wonder, maybe sometimes your struggles in those relationships are still of the fact maybe that you think you've trusted in Jesus, but maybe you need to take a look again. I, I think one of the, the most dangerous place a church member can ever be in is in the deceived, self-deceived uh, area. Christ will empower you to have a fulfilled relationship with your friends, neighbors, others. But listen, he has to be in you first. He has to be a part of your life first. And it has to be more than just wordplay. Listen, I told you before, I, I love Twitter, Instagram, Periscope. 
but I get angry, and I know I shouldn't. I get bothered, and I know I shouldn't be. I, I get a lot of things. When I see people taunt their faith all over Instagram, they'll have all these nice Bible verses. They will make you think something. But good luck getting them here on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Good luck getting them involved in gospel work. It's easy to say a lot of things on social media, and it's easy to talk a talk about your faith. But that's all that it is. I'm going to read to you an interview. It's in um, a magazine. It's coming out. Uh, I don't know if it's out yet. It may be out already. Complex magazine. I want you to listen to this interview that was given. This is a celebrity, a globally known celebrity. And this is what this celebrity says about God. I'm the same way. I'm not religious. I personally love Jesus, and that was my salvation. I want to share what I'm going through and what I'm feeling, and I think it shouldn't be ostracized. I think that everybody should get their chance to share what they're doing or where their journey is headed. Whether there's... We're in a place right now in 2015 where people have to be open-minded. And I actually feel better and more free now that I know what I can do and what I can't do. My voice, I'm not going to let it be heard anymore. I'm going to use my voice for a reason. I think that people, as soon as they start hearing me saying I'm a Christian, they're like, whoa, uh, back up, take a step back. Also, I don't want to shove this down anyone's throat. I just honestly, I want to honestly live like Jesus. Not be Jesus, I couldn't do that. Uh, but, but he created a pretty awesome template of how to love people and how to be gracious and kind. If you believe it, he died for our sins. Sometimes when I don't feel like doing something, but I know it's right, I remember, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross and dying so that we don't have to feel that we should, uh, so that we don't have to feel what we should have to feel. What Jesus did when he came to the cross was basically say, you don't have to feel any of that stuff. We could take out all of our insecurities. We could take away all the hurt, all the pain, all the fear, all the trauma. That doesn't need to be there. So all this healing that you're trying to do, it's unnecessary. We have the greatest healer of all, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he really heals. This is it. It's time that we share our voice. That was pretty shocking, huh? You know who said this? Justin Bieber. In the very next paragraph, he talks about how dope his girlfriend is. And uses a few four-letter words interlaced actually throughout that whole interview. You see, guys, you can say whatever you want to say. It don't impress me. You're not impressing God. You can, you can fool people all day long. You're not going to fool him. But please understand that we are not the first people to walk down this road. We're walking down the same road that all of the Corinthians had to walk down. They struggled there first. But if you would let him 
if you would let him, Jesus wants to be the rock, solid foundation and center of your life, if you'll let him. He wants to guide all of your conversations. He wants to guide all of your relationships. He wants to be there for you to give you the strength to do things that you don't think you can. So that when you find yourself on the shredded cheese aisle of Winn-Dixie, you can be empowered to, give a, a, to, to, to talk about Christ, to talk about church to someone that you'll see there that maybe you know, a coworker, neighbor, whatever. Just like you did for me. To say more than just hello to friends, neighbors, and say more than, hey, how are you doing? But to get a little bit messy in their lives. To bring a little bit of Christ with you. But it first begins by your own relationship with him. You won't have any of that unless you have Christ first. So I'm going to ask you three questions then. Number one, what's the evidence of Christ in your life? Is there any? What motivation is there of the end, quote unquote? I'm talking about the end, the end of your life. Does that make an impact on how you live right now? And lastly, do you realize... Do you realize the empowerment that Jesus gives to you? Do you realize the strength that he will equip you with? Do you realize the words that he will put in your mouth? Do you realize what he can be in your life? If you would take his yoke upon, uh, upon yourself to trust in him for the very first time, maybe to trust in him again, I'm convinced that that's what some in here may need to do is to walk an aisle and come to an altar like they did a long time ago when they gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. But this morning, you just need to do it because you've examined yourself and the evidence is lacking. And maybe you need to recommit afresh to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and let the power of the gospel ring true in your life once more. Do you realize you've never committed a single sin? There's not a single thing that you have ever done that you could not be forgiven. You are never that far away from God's grace. And I hope that you find it this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we move into this time now of a response, and God, we're just going to ask folks to just, and I've already asked them to make a consideration of their walk with you. I've asked them, Lord, to think about the evidence of the gospel in their lives. I've asked them, Lord, if they've really considered the end. But Father, I've also asked them to consider the empowerment that they can have in you. To realize that they can be more, do more, say more, and experience the joy of a well-balanced life of a gospel-centered relationship everywhere that they go. Father, I don't know how they're going to respond to this, but I pray that they will. I pray for the one who needs to follow Jesus for the very first time and trust in him as Lord and Savior. God, would they come? Father, I pray for the one who's been drifting away. Oh, they used to 
they used to do a lot of things. They, they used to be known for their, for how they were just so involved and doing so many things for the Lord. And slowly, by slowly, little by little, they've been falling away. Don't know why. It's none of my business, really, but I'm concerned for them, Lord. I'm concerned for the Lord, uh, for Lord, for the, for the one who's, their margins on, their, on that paper, Lord, it's, there's none there. Their life is filled with busyness, and there's no time for you. So, Father, I'm just going to give you this time. I'm going to ask you, Father, to do some things that, that obviously I cannot. I'm going to ask you to just put a burden on their heart and on their mind. Move them, Father, out into the aisles. Let them come to this altar. Let them come to their pastor. We'll pray together. I'll help them however I can. Let no one here be ashamed. Let no one here be afraid to, to step out and to do what they need to do. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.